0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is a, a pleasure to be with you all again. I always look forward to my times uh, coming here. Uh, everyone is just always so gracious and so welcome, and it's a delight to uh, share the things of our Lord with you. I would ask that if you have your copy of the scriptures, that you would turn with me to the first psalm, Psalm number one. The title of this morning's message will be, There are Two Paths That You Can Walk. From Psalm 1, I would ask that if you are able, that you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hear now, people of God, the word of your Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, as we draw nigh unto thee to worship you through the... Preaching through the administration and the receiving of your word, Lord, we ask that you would be with us by your grace. We ask that you would meet with us by your Holy Spirit, Father, that he would work through the preacher as well as the hearers this morning, that blessing might be brought to us all. Father, we ask that you hear your law, we hear your instruction with with eager rejoicing, with a desire to be obedient, to be conformed to your will. God, we ask that you would make us like your son, because in his name we pray, amen. amen. Thank you, you may be seated. There is going to come a day when it will be revealed unto all of us that in reality there are only two kinds of people. You see, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, he will then sit upon his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's Matthew chapter 25. This is a truth as timeless as the sun moon, and stars. God has given us assurance of this truth by raising his Son from the dead. It is a matter that is weighty. It is a matter that is pressing upon all of us. It is something that you must think deeply about. In order to, in light of that, contemplate these two groups of people, we see that we have the righteous in the wicked, we are going to be looking this morning, of course, at the first psalm, which, which is a psalm that you, you, you open up the book of Psalms, it's the first one you encounter. It gives you a picture of so much of what you are going to see throughout the rest of the psalter. It's a short psalm, it's a simple psalm, but it's powerful. It's powerful in the message that it communicates. And so we are going to ask God to speak to us this morning through his word, and we lean upon the power of his spirit as we press on. So in Psalm 1, verse 1, we read, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I want you to look closely at at this verse in, in your Bible to really see how these things are laid out. The first line of this verse simply says, blessed is the man. Now, the word blessed is thrown around a lot amongst Christians, but sadly, I don't think we understand it. The phrase, blessed is the man, is found numerous times in the Psalms. Jesus picks up on the phrase in the Beatitudes. And when we look at the ways that the scripture uses this word, blessed, blessed is the man who such and such, it It really has to do with one's relationship with God. One of the key ways that this is picked up is is it's used in Psalm 32. Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 4. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute his sin. And so a man who is blessed is a man who has a right relationship with God. They've been forgiven of their sins. And God's loving kindness, grace, and providence is going to be with them throughout all of their life one who is blessed is one who who God has drawn near to him. You know, in our modern vernacular, we often hear people say, well, I'm blessed. You know, I'm so blessed. And they're referring to some material things. They're referring to their wealth. Uh, But only those are blessed who know God. We will see this in the psalm contained within verse one. We have a sort of A trilogy of trilogies, and that's just a fancy way of saying three sets of threes. Uh, The first set of threes, if you break things apart, we have walks, stands, and sits. We have counsel, way, and seat. Then we have wicked sinners and scoffers. We have that there's the one who walks in the counsel of the wicked, one who stands in the way of sinners, and one who sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, the important thing to remember, of course, is that what we have in the Psalms, we have, we have poetry. Uh, and in poetry, words are, are arranged in a specific way for a specific purpose. It's not you know, a grocery list where if you put milk before bread, it doesn't really change anything. There, there's intentionality uh, in the order there. And so, if you if you think about it and, and you break it down, it's like the list is getting uh, progressively worse. Uh, walking in the counsel of the wicked is the first one we read. This someone who is walking in the counsel. Counsel means uh, it can mean advice or wisdom. It's someone who is taking the advice of the ungodly. They have not descended into you know the the scoffing yet or open rebellion. They're they're sort of testing or flirting with the waters of sin and wickedness. They are getting their counsel, their advice from ungodly people. Then we have, we move on to the one who stands in the way of sinners. They're no longer just testing the waters. They're they're, they're standing in the way of sinners. They are standing in sin. They've, They've paused. They said, hmm. There's something I like about this. They've paused, they are taking part in sin. Sin against the almighty, infinitely holy God. And then finally, we have the one who sits in the seat of scoffers. Not only have they fallen in with an ungodly crowd surrounding themselves with evildoers, not only are they actively engaging in sin itself, they're scoffing. They're they're mockers of God. They are mockers of righteousness. Arrogantly boasting. They are not ashamed of their sinful lifestyle. Rather, they are proud. They are proud of their unrighteousness. My friends, that is the common lot that we see in our day. That's the average American. That is the average young person. Did you know that the, the number one cause right now for young people in this country is fentanyl overdose. Uh, Our our culture has become that which the Psalms and which scripture warns about. You see, drug overdose being the number one cause of death for young people is what happens when you go with the flow, when, when you follow the trends of the culture we, In addition to that, we have a sexual ethic in this country which is so scandalous and repugnant. It's only a testimony to the grace and mercy of God. We've not been made the next Sodom or Gomorrah. We live in a land where a mother is allowed to murder her own child in the womb with complete immunity. Our culture celebrates sin. But that is just what happens when people are walking then in the way of the wicked and descend into full-on on display, wicked and sinful boasting. You know, for a long period of time, because of the grace of God, because we had a a Christian consensus, as some people would put it, uh, some of the the sins that, that we talk about nowadays were not, you know, they were not mainstream in every movie or program. They were sort of, you know, hidden away in dark and seedy places. Now... You turn on your television and being broadcasted straight into your home are some of these things. That, that, that is what we deal with in, in, in our day. And so you think about that word scoffer, someone who's, who they mock God, they're arrogant, proud, boastful of their sin. One of the things that we have to recognize, because I think Christians get discouraged because the Psalms talk about this, well why? Why do the wicked boast? Why do they have so much and and yet righteous people struggle? Listen, we have to understand something. People who mock God may be comfortable in this life, but that comfort will not last. And so verse 1 defines the blessed man. The blessed man is one who does not partake in those things, who does not partake in unrighteousness, but he resists that temptation. The contrary, we see in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now the psalm then turns from talking about sin, and then he now moves on to defining what the blessed man does. Like When we repent, we turn from our sin, and and we, we put ourselves in a holier direction. We focus upon God and his word. Verse 2 is describing how the blessed man chooses to delight in the law of the Lord. Not just that they are curious about God's law, they delight. They find their joy, they find their satisfaction in the law of God, rather than choosing to find their happiness in sin. Now, when it says there the word law, we should... Immediately understand that what's in view there is what they call the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible uh, written by Moses. Although we could apply that, of course, to all of Scripture, I think it's worth pointing this detail out. One, because of the fact that, you know, to to most of us, if someone were to ask, you know, what are your favorite parts of of the Bible, you know, if someone is going to ask me that, I'll speak for myself. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, John chapter 6, John 17, Romans 8, just some of these great passages uh, which talk about, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the psalmist here, he, he doesn't have those. I mean, that's a gift. Think about it, that you and I have received that, you know, he never had Ephesians. He never had Romans. And so he's thinking about Leviticus. And he's thinking about Deuteronomy. And he's saying, I find my delight in those books. The righteous man delights in, in, in the parts of the Bible that to most of us are completely foreign. Uh, just something for us to think about. But secondly, law communicates... Well, you know what a law is. You know what legislation... It communicates commands, uh, instruction. And, and so Christian people... It's not that we obey God as though He were some sort of, you know, cruel, wicked slave master. We do not begrudgingly or reluctantly obey God. No, we delight. We delight in His commandments. Why? Because we've been set free from the chains and from the bondage of sin. We've been given new hearts. We are new creations in Christ Jesus, and and so we delight in God's commandments. We long to be holy. We weep over our sin. And so the psalm, you think about how how does one come to know God? We come to know God through His Word. Jesus says this is eternal life, that that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. My, My brothers and sisters, knowing God, That is life. That that is eternal life. We come to know Him through His Word. We ought to meditate upon it day and night. It should be a part of our daily conversation. We should be more fluent in the Holy Scriptures than we are with any television program, any sports team, uh, or any work of fiction. We should be fluent. We should be conversant in God's Word. It should be our delight, the source of our joy, the source of our comfort and strength. I said earlier that our culture is increasingly wicked, and it's no surprise that at the very same time, our culture is increasingly anti-Christian. You know, the popular beliefs and positions Uh, To hold right now in our culture are to be anti anything that has to do with God, with Jesus Christ, Uh, pro abortion, pro LGBT, things like that. You are seen as a radical, you are mocked, you are discriminated against, you are persecuted in word, soon to becoming deed, for simply believing what the 66 canonical books of the Old and New Testaments teach. That is a reality. We should not think anything otherwise. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Paul says that all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus' will be persecuted. Do not be surprised when they mock you. Do not be surprised when they falsely accuse you of things in Jesus' name. But rather take joy in that, for great is your reward in heaven. But how are we able then to withstand uh, the persecution? Because it doesn't feel good. We don't like it uh, in, in the immediate sense, but we're able to endure all things, just as Paul endured all things for the sake of the elect. Why? Well, we see this in verse 3. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, so verse 3, it's continuing to describe the blessed man. Of course, we just read in verse 2, this is a man who takes delight in God's word. He meditates on God's word day and night. And then, because of that, verse 3 then extends it, expands upon it, with this analogy of a tree being planted by the water. We see that in many places in Scripture. And just, it, it's, it's amazing. God condescends to our level to give us these pictures. Think about a tree. Y'all know what a tree is. Uh, a, a tree is, is a big, mighty, massive uh, thing. They grow tall, strong, they're, they're firm, steady, uh, sturdy. They have long roots that grow into the ground such that they shall not be moved. Uh, the tree in this analogy is once planted by streams. Of flowing water. It's a tree that has abundant, the proper nourishment to grow strong, to grow steady, and to yield fruit, to produce, not to wither, but to prosper, not to be knocked down, not to be torn down by, by wickedness or sin or persecution, but to stand firm and prosper. You see, the blessed man is able to be like that. Why? Because he is planted in God's Word. He is planted in the Holy Scriptures. By being sturdy in the Word of God, he yields good fruit. Because God's Word offers the proper nourishment that that a person needs to thrive. As opposed to the wicked that we read about in verse 1 who are not planted in God's Word. Now verse 3 describes the blessed man as yielding good fruit as being prosperous. And right off the bat, I want to point this out, which should hopefully be obvious to anyone who's been around uh, the Scriptures for a while. When when the psalm talks about being blessed, when it talks about prospering and things like that, it's not talking about necessarily worldly blessings or material things. It's got spiritual uh, blessings in mind. Jesus came to give us spiritual life, and on our lives as Christians, they are better, not necessarily in a sense that the world can receive, like we have more money or something, but, but to live life as a Christian, to, to have the, the grace of God, the Holy Spirit working in your life, that, that is an improved state of being, it's a, it's a prosperity uh, type of thing. So, this verse says that the blessed man is like a tree that yields fruit in its season. You know, we think about being blessed and, and prospering as like we are receiving something, like we receive gifts. But a tree bearing fruit is not a tree receiving something, it's a tree producing something. Something good, something that is beneficial to not only ourselves but to others it is coming out of this tree. So for the one who is delighting in and being planted in God's Word, they're they're bearing good fruit. This is a person who is living a godly lifestyle. But by by seeking counsel, not in the the philosophies or the wisdom of this age, but by seeking counsel in the instruction of the Lord, they're they're avoiding sin. They're not swaying with the winds of the ever-changing and wicked Culture, but rather they are like a strong tree firmly rooted in God's Word. And as a result of this, good things are coming out of them. This, this could be a person who is so firmly rooted in God's Word, they are moved to, to give to charity, to, to help loved ones in need, to love others, to be selfless, and everything like that. And now verse 3 ends with the phrase, And all that he does he prospers. This prosperity, as we've said, it's a spiritual prosperity. Why? Because regardless of your outward, temporary circumstances on earth, you are able to find joy. We are able to have joy, peace, and contentment in our relationship with the Lord. Why? Because when we suffer, we know that we suffer not in vain or uh, without any hope, we know that our suffering is not for no reason, but that the Lord our God is actually using our suffering for our good. When, when the scriptures tell us that God works all things for good to them who love him, who are the called according to his purpose, that all things includes the deaths of our loved ones. It includes financial ruin. It includes emotional Turmoil and hardship. It includes all those things. And it says that God is using that for our good and for our blessing. Is that not a wonderful thing? You see, the godly person also knows that this life that we live down here is not all that there is. People who are persecuted, people who are struggling on this earth, if, if they know Jesus, what more do they need? They have it all. And so, verse 4 says that the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked, the ungodly, they are not planted in God's word, they are planted in themselves. Think about it, the wicked in verse 1 are described as being in the counsel of the wicked. The godly man is humble, he understands the higher power. Who that that higher power is specifically he understands that he is a weak, flawed human being, but the ungodly they, they, they reject that concept they, they think it 's foolishness. Uh, Psalm fourteen says that the fool says in his heart, "There is no God they, they, they think that they themselves can be the highest power, and verse one describes him as scoffers, arrogant, mocking, boastful that the one of the most dangerous threats to the Christian church right now that is on the rise, if your children are in public schools, they are facing this every single day. All of the entertainment from the world is going to include the same message. It is rampant. It is all around us. We need to know how to respond to It's secularism. Materialism. That there is no spirituality. There is no God. There is no higher power. That is the rising popular belief. Uh, And what we see is that people who don't believe in a higher power live as though they are the highest power. If all there is, you know, when you think about the, the communist nations in the early part of the last century, if there is no God above us, who is God? The state and that was what was able to, to fuel you know, the likes of, of Stalin and Mao. It's that, well, there's no one above the state. We don't have to answer to anyone. We are your gods now. We are your overlords. And that, so we can see it on a big grand scale like that in communism, or we can see it in an, on the individual, much smaller, just how a person lives their lives. As though they're not going to have to answer to anyone for the things that they do. If, because, listen, if you are a rational, logical person and, and, and you believe that there is no afterlife, there is no higher power, there is no day of judgment, well, the logical conclusion to that is, well, I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy, whatever makes me feel good. And, and so because of the fact that human beings are naturally selfish, what's your desires are? becomes the most important thing. What brings you pleasure? Because all there is. If there's no one above you, all there is is you. See how disgusting that is? And yet that is the prevailing worldview of our day. And that is what's on the rise. We need to be able to respond to it. If you, if you believe that, that if you're an atheist, then when you die, well, that's it. The light goes out. There, there's nothing more. So a sense that... The universe might as well be over. Because to die, well, you're not going to experience anything anymore. It's just nothingness. The, there is no judgment coming. It's just blackness. So then what happens? It becomes a matter of, well, you better get it while you can. So just live your life trying to satisfy all of your wicked desires in order to make yourself happy, and It's over. That's why sin is so rampant. Because you just want what you think is going to make you happy. there is no God to sin against, there is no consequence for sin. Your five senses are the whole universe, if that's your belief. So as you go through this life, as you look at the things that are happening in this world, you may observe people who are ungodly. They may seem happy. Some of them are. You know, sometimes uh, people like, like to encourage others about, oh, you know, the, the rich, wicked man, you know, he may look happy on the outside, but, but inside, you know, it's just his soul's in turmoil. Sometimes it's not true. Sometimes God hardens the wicked person's heart so much that they are actually very, very happy. They're actually very, very satisfied. It's just that it's not going to last. Is the only thing. So you may look at people, and they may they may seem they, there may be things that you are tempted to be envious of, but without Christ, they do not have the spiritual prosperity that is a true, that a true genuine born again Christian has. They do not bear good fruit. The wind will blow them away. Why? Because they are rooted in themselves and not the Word of God. Verse 5 says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So here is where eternity comes in. You see, one of the attributes of God is that he is a just God. He is called in scripture the judge of all the earth. So here's this thing about a just judge is that they will not allow evil to go unpunished. Eternal judgment by the eternal God is coming. The wicked, the ungodly, they may be happy. They may be really happy. They may be boastful, scoffing, comfortable here on this earth. They will not stand in judgment. They will be crushed with a rod of iron. They're going to get what they deserve. And sin against the infinite, eternal. God requires infinite, eternal punishment. You say that's scary. It is. It's terrifying to think about. It's scary because it's real. Because it means people that we love are going to be subject to that someday. Now verse 5 describes two groups. It describes the sinners, describes the righteous. The, the congregation of the righteous is the phrase used. It means that there is another group of people who, unlike the godly, will not be subject to that level of punishment. These are the righteous. Well, who are the ones who are righteous? The righteous are those like the blessed man described in this psalm. They do not walk in the path of the wicked and godly. Rather, they are firmly rooted in God's word. Most importantly, the righteous are those who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are actually made righteous by the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. You see, here's the thing. We deserve... Punishment just as much as anyone, just as much as the wicked, ungodly people described in this text. We, we do. I, I know that I do. I know that in past times I've walked in the counsel of the wicked. I, I have stood in the way of sinners and at times even have sat in the seat of scoffers. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate. What does that mean? It means that God became flesh. He did this so that Jesus could live a human life, yet a sinless life, so that he would be an adequate propitiation for the sins of mankind. The punishment that sin deserves, Jesus took that punishment upon himself on the cross. And by believing, by having faith in him, his sacrifice on the cross covers my sins. That means I'm not getting the punishment I deserve, but rather I'm receiving as a result of God's grace and goodness, the free gift of salvation that I do not deserve, that I did nothing to earn, but because of God's infinite love I receive. Which means that that a wicked and ungodly person does not have to stay in that place. You can turn from your sin. You can stop doing the things the way that the world does them. You can have new desires, new hopes, new ambitions. Ungodly people are rooted in themselves, but you can turn from that. You can plant yourself in the Word of God. Seek God's instruction for your counsel and be saved by the work of Jesus on the cross. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous... The way of the wicked will perish. You see, in the coming judgment, the wicked, the ungodly, they will die. They will crumble. They will be blown away by the wind. They will wither away. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That right there is all evil, being punished, eternally separated from God. The, the wicked are not going to stand in the judgment that is to come, which is why if you truly love someone, my friends, you will share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. That, that is the way that one is made righteous. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't want God's judgment coming for them in eternity, but this is the direction that so many people today are headed towards. It's, it's not hard to you open your eyes to see this. Look at the kinds of people, the kinds of actions, the kinds of activities that our culture glorifies remember that these are the people that say all that's worth living for is living for today, like that horrible John Lennon song. The, the lie that is told to so many young people, young people who are walking in the counsel of the wicked, this is the number one lie. It's that life is about fun. It's about fun. It's about experiencing things. It's about enjoying yourself, about being happy, about doing what gives you Pleasure, if it feels good, it is good, in other words. Well, for the person who accepts that as their worldview, as what they are going to choose to believe, they are denying the reality that the treasures you store for yourself in this earth are going to pass away. Of course, why Jesus tells us to lay up treasures in heaven. When we think about these things, it may seem today that the wicked outnumber the righteous. And, and, and so many very young people are slipping away with the culture and they don't even realize it. Young people look forward to going off to college or some other university full of hope and wonder and excitement for all of the sin opportunities they will come across. Evil and sin against God are celebrated, why God, why His Bible and Christianity are mocked and rejected by society. For my brothers and sisters in Christ who are being so gracious as to listen to me speak this morning, I want you to please encourage the young people that you love to be strong in Christ, to be rooted deeply in His Word, to reject those winds and the changing tides of the culture which only serve to lead us towards destruction. Be strong, be countercultural. You do not have to submit to their ways. The other thing we have to deal with when we look at a text like this is the reality, and and this is something we need preached to us every day, it's that, brothers and sisters, God's grace does something in our lives. You see, God's grace does not just save us from the punishment of sin, it saves us from sin itself. God's grace changes us. Okay, such that we are no longer wicked, but we are righteous. Do we struggle with sin? Do we fall? Yes. Yes, we do. But there's a real sense in which you can look at a Christian and say he is not a sinner. Not that he is perfect, but that generally, over the course of his life, God has done something to him. He yields good fruit. He prospers in that spiritual sense. Why? Jesus says it. Quite Clearly, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He does not say, if you love me, please then also keep my commandments. No, he, he says, if you love me, you will do this. He says it as a, as a promise. Because we've all, at one point or another, were dead in our trespass and sin, walking in, in the way of this world, following he who is the spirit of this age. And God reached down to your heart. He took out that heart of stone from your flesh and He has given you a heart of flesh. And that is why you walk anew. We are united to Christ in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. We've died to sin. We've died to ourselves. And we've been raised to spiritual life in Christ Jesus. We are new creations. We do not have to be enslaved to our passions. We do not have to be enslaved To our sin, we are different. Our delight now is in the Word of God, in His ways, in His counsel, in His instruction. uh, I remember one night I was talking uh, to—we stayed up till about four o'clock in the morning. It was my an unbelieving family member and I, and we were talking about all the good stuff: life, death, God, all of that, And, and. I realized something during the conversation is that, you know, one of the greatest proofs that God has actually saved you, that that this Christian faith of yours is not just a sort of plaything, but that this, this is actually real. There's a reality behind this, you know, confession time for me, I guess, when I was a younger man, I... I Sort of did everything that I could to be rebellious and reject every single authority that people who loved me had placed in my way. i Maybe some of you can relate to that, but all of a sudden over you know God at one point gave me a desire to obey him I, and i it 's not just like like, oh, well, I, I have to you know, do this. The reason to be bad at me. It's that I long, I love to be obedient to Him. I weep when I fall short. My sin has brought me to tears. But, you know, all of these authority figures in my lives who I could, I could see, I could touch them, they, if I disobeyed, there could be punishments that I physically experience. And yet God, whom I've, who is spirit, whom I've never seen with my own eyes, I've never touched him with my hands, I long to obey him. Why do I long to obey the authority figure I've never seen? My friends, I stand here today as one whom, God, whom God's grace has touched. Many of you can relate to that. And I just pray that as our time for worship comes to a close this morning, that that would encourage you. I pray that you would strive with all of your might and with all of your power to know this book, be firmly rooted and planted in it. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, Father, we thank you for your instruction this morning. We thank you for the encouragement. We thank you for the conviction. God, we need it all. God, show us where we fall short. Show us our abiding sins, Lord, that we may grow, that we may prosper as we are conformed to the image of your Son. It's in his name we pray this morning. Amen. Thank you.